I every billboard, every advertisement, every clothing piece, everything out there was all about how sexy are you? How good at sex are you? How appealing are you? Are you attractive? Oh, does that man, does that woman, does that person, does that tree? Like every part of you has to be attractive all the time. And it was like, when I didn't play into that, I could just be myself. You are such a Welcome to your Such a Catch. I'm Erin. If you're tuning in for the first time, let's just pretend you were scrolling on Bumble and you came across my profile. So you'd see my name. Obviously, I just told you it was Erin. I'm 39 years old. And you'd start to look at my photos and you'd say, oh, she looks fun. Mm, She likes to have a good time. Oh, she's a tomboy. She likes football. Oh, she roots for the Chargers. <laughs> she must be loyal. Mm-hmm. And then you'd be like, oh, but she cleans up. Look at her in heels. Okay, okay. I see what she's got going on. And then you'd swipe right. <laughs> That's what I need you to do right now, too. I need you to like, subscribe, and follow. And I mean, that doesn't take much, right? And don't worry, I won't ghost you. I won't leave you on red. Well, I might have done that once or twice in my life, but I won't leave you on red anymore. (laughs) Uh, Thank you so much for tuning in, though. Before we dive in, I have to give a shout out to my main man in Chicago, Dion. Dion has supported not only your Such a Catch, but me since we met each other. God, it's almost been a year because he just celebrated his one-year anniversary for Off the Beaten Podcast. If you haven't listened, feel free to tune in. It's good stuff. I've learned so much about Chicago and its people and just about, you know, cool, relevant things from Dion. Um, but Dion, you are so such a great support system. I am so thankful we've become friends and I am glad we're on this journey together. If you too want to support me, hop on over to my website, www.yoursuchacatch.com backslash unfiltered and make your pledge today. And I would love to give you a shout out on my next episode. All right, let's get to it. Today, I have Delfina Yore on. She is the founder and CEO of KISS, which stands for Keep It Sacred Sister. KISS's mission is to bring healing to survivors of sexual abuse by connecting them to care and community. Did you know that every 73 seconds, an American is sexually assaulted? 90% of those victims are female. That makes one in five American women a survivor of sexual abuse. And today, you're going to hear from two of them. I am here talking with Delfina today. Delfina created KISS, which is Keep It Sacred Sister. Delfina, tell me about yourself. Tell me about your organization. Hey, Erin. Thanks so much for having me here. I'm so excited to talk about this today. Yeah, Keep It Sacred Sister. We are helping survivors connect with care and community. And, and survivors of? Survivors of sex, sexual abuse. Yes. Okay. So that topic is so near and dear to my heart. So my, my listeners know that I'm an open book and I have definitely been sharing about my life as my podcast started and evolved. And one of the events that kind of occurred in my life when I was in high school was sexual assault. And I was doing a women empowerment series during my first season. And it was very interesting because I had guests lined up every single week to kind of come and speak and be on the podcast and share their story. And one week, it just so happened to work out 
my guests backed out. And I thought to myself, well, you're an empowered woman. You have a story to share. Mm. Why don't you share your story, Erin? And that was very difficult for me because for so long, I didn't open up about that. If I had somebody very close in my life, they, they knew my story, but it wasn't something I shared really publicly. And I don't know if it was different emotions, right? Just re- having to relive it, maybe being embarrassed by it, or just not right. wanting to be judged or criticized. But I will tell you in that moment in which I did open up and share, and it wasn't like I gave graphic details or anything like that, but I was so proud of myself, one. And two, the amount of women that it resonated with was so huge. And I had no idea that by just sharing what happened to me would open this dialogue or communication between other women who have been impacted similarly. Right. Right. That was really brave of you. I'm really sorry you had to go through that. Thank you. It's remarkable how many women have experienced this. I mean, the statistics say it's one in six women. And yeah, and 90% of survivors are are female. So it really is mostly women who are going through this. And sadly, only 20% of survivors get help because of the nature of, of like there's an intimacy to this crime that doesn't exist with other crimes. There's just a knowingness of your perpetrator that you don't want to know and you almost feel like responsible for their own brutality like you almost mm-hmm. you get a glimpse of of someone else's humanity in such a broken way that I, I think it really it makes it hard for survivors to feel like they should expose that in another human being like we almost take it on like we have to protect this horrible person right now from right. this from did, do they even know what they just did and so just for you to step into sharing your story that's that's huge that's a, that's a milestone for most survivors that that's a that's a milestone so oh well thank yeah. you i mean it definitely took me a very very long time to do and i chose to talk to a therapist about it and i obviously had a lot of emotions and feelings to kind of work through and address. And I don't know if you ever truly get over it, I guess. I mean, there are nights where I will kind of have like a nightmare or whatever. And I'm, I guess I'm correlating it to that. But there's also this freeness in sharing your story and realizing like it wasn't self-induced or there was nothing I could have done to have, obviously I could have prevented the circumstance in which I kind of was at a particular location or whatnot. But There was a lot of like this guilt that kind of came with it, and I don't know why. And then obviously then trying to go and have a successful and healthy relationship with somebody else. I mean, the trust, it's very hard to kind of work through those emotions as well. Now, does your organization kind of walk somebody through those steps or kind of Talk to me about the the different levels of support that you offer. Sure. We are just getting our feet wet here. We're just getting started. But our main solution for survivors right now, the thing that we know we can add to the support system that already exists is we are making panties and care kits for survivors who are coming out of hospitals and clinics in donation clothes. So it's a very small piece of the big puzzle of helping a survivor go from um, being a victim to being a survivor to a thriver. But we, we really wanted to 
reach women at that point of critical contact and let them know mm. that there is a whole sisterhood of women who are on the other side of that critical moment, ready to embrace them and love them. And here, here's a panty to show you that this intimate part of your body uh, isn't invisible and it's not broken and it's yours and we're here to protect you and, and your body. So as far as helping the restoration process, we're not as involved in that just yet as we shape our own voice and figure out what what really we want to add to the conversation at this point. Now, I'm assuming there's a personal tie or a reason why you chose to kind of partner with this type of an issue. Do you mind sharing that story? Sure, I, I would be happy to. Well, it's funny that you said about your story that you're, you feel like you kind of never get over what happened. That trauma is so intrusive to your life. And it, it, it's a real interrupter. I felt that way for most of my life. So my my rape, my abuse happened when I was a little girl. I'm actually an incest survivor. So I didn't know what was happening to me when it did. And, and sexual abuse survivors, when we're so young, it's very confusing because we're trying to make sense of the world. So my introduction into sexual intimacy was with someone who should never have had that relationship with me. So I mm-hmm. was I was eight years old, and the abuse stopped when I was sixteen. So oh, wow. it was about an eight year eight year long illicit relationship that my father had with me. But and after that, and I grew up really tied to my faith. So I actually I didn't know that this was happening to me because of I repressing the memories. It's very common for a lot of survivors of incest specifically to not know that this is part of your history. Erin, I thought I was a virgin till I was twenty. Wow. And that and all the memories came back all of a sudden. Let me let me be clear. Like little by little, I started realizing that there was something that had gone terribly wrong in my life. And over Mm -hmm. a course of two years, I was able to put my story together. To this Mm -hmm. day, no one can corroborate my story because obviously my dad still denies it. My mom wasn't a witness and no one else really was there. So to this day, I I have had to step into believing myself and believing what my body was telling me, believe my memories, believe those broken pieces of, of what's going on in my memory. And then, of course, I, I went through a long journey of healing through the PTSD symptoms from, in, on every level, emotionally, physically, mm-hmm. and then spiritually. But Erin, I am 100% PTSD-free. I I don't have oh intrusive nightmares anymore. <laughs> I don't have triggers, flashbacks. That's amazing. I, it's it's truly a miracle. I never knew this was possible. I never knew this was possible. And there's a lot more to wow. that to getting to this point. But I'll I'll throw the ball back at you here. But uh, yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, first off, I mean, you are you're saying I'm brave. You are unbelievably brave. I can't imagine one it, that to me is like you had to deal with these adult like issues when you weren't an adult, and then two to not really be able to piece them together. I can only imagine how hard that would be, as well as dealing with okay if I'm going to say this out loud and and share what has happened to me, it's going to create this divide within my own family. And I'm sure that felt like a ton of pressure on you. And then having to do that with your own father. I mean, I, I can't even yeah. begin to fathom. In my situation, I always, in my, in my younger years before I 
really had given the situation a lot more thought and like I mentioned taking myself out of the equation as if because at first I really thought I was part of the problem I was part of the reason it occurred to me right but once I was able to kind of remove that I, I also had this you know period of time where I really was waiting on this apology from the individual mm, right the validation. And, I, and I did I did and I did not understand why he had chosen me or I kind of felt like he was the type of guy who could have really had any type of girl that he mm. wanted. He was popular and good looking and had all these things going for him. But when I was in college, I'll never forget it. I, I was sitting on my, my dorm bed and my mom had written me a letter and I received the letter in the mail and I opened it up and inside was an obituary and he had taken his own wow. life. And mm. it was very difficult for me because one, obviously, I was grieving this loss of this person who tied me to this moment and this situation. And then two, that apology that I always kind of wanted never came or couldn't come now. Mm -hmm. But there was a lot of healing in that as well. Just knowing, okay, like you're never going to have to see this individual again or whatnot and, and relive that moment. But for you, I mean, do you have any dialogue with your family now? And I'm like, so, this just, yeah. like Thanksgivings so, must be interesting. <laughs> well, I mean, I think I want to address just one of the biggest lies around sexual abuse, especially within the family. If something like that is happening, there is no such thing as family unity in that family, let alone mm -hmm. the history of abuse within the family is already there. So sexual abuse is something that is passed on. It is passed on from generation to generation. So the fact that my dad was engaging in this, I mean, he himself is a survivor. He was Got abused it. by, I believe it was a, a teacher or, or a priest. And so he, his, he didn't deal with his trauma and he passed it forward. So when I spoke up, it wasn't like it was fresh news, a pebble dropping into a perfectly still pond. I mean, whatever peace we had as a family was built on lies. It was built mm. on tension and violence in a way. So even, even I, I imagined with your, with the, with the man who did what he did to you, I would assume that there is a history of, there was a history of abuse in his own life. And for him to have ended his life the way that he did, it just tells me that there was so much un, untreated trauma that you mm -hmm. you ended up tripping into and mm. sometimes we we just don't know this about the people around us we just sure we just don't know and when that trauma is untreated you also it, you don't know when that's going to be activated in another person um mm. not not that we need to be f fearful of people but just it's it's never your fault and it, and it still isn't your fault <laughs> and and that yeah. and that weight that you feel is still not yours to carry and, and you you can you can lift that off your shoulders and and there's a way to let that go like mm -hmm. <laughs> so at what point after this kind of happened to you and you're processing your thoughts and you're thinking about how you're going to speak out about this. Like, did you just start doing a bunch of research on your own? Because I'm thinking in all my discussions with, with professionals and I haven't done a ton of research on my own, but I had no idea that it was kind of something that was like learned and, and passed mm -hmm. down or, oh, yeah. um, yeah, I had no oh, idea. Yeah. <laughs> mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. It is much more prevalent than we know. 
Wow. Mm-hmm. Wow. And when you started KISS, now, does everybody have a personal tie? Every because, one of our board members is a survivor. That's what, that's what I thought, which is like, one is just unbelievable because like when you are learning statistics in school or whatnot, and they're like one in four, and then you kind of look around the room and you're like, oh, that means it's happened to like five or six people in the room. Like, But then when you get people together and you're like, whoa, like the impact that is. But I love that you guys not only had this group to kind of empathize and support one another, but you're like, well, let's take it to the next level. How do we give back? How do we help others? How do we make a difference and change the narrative? And I love that. So tell us more about your kits and kind of like your process. So one thing I also really admire about you is you chose to volunteer your time and kind of help victims. And that is something that I'm very interested in doing. And I hope to align with with the charity that you mentioned and do that myself because I don't know it's just I think once you do experience something like this it draws you very close to the cause and just wanting to share what little knowledge and experience and and like a little bit of faith and hope to another individual that's impacted right I think I think the best way I can answer your question is to maybe finish my my personal story so when I decided to share my story I did not do any research. I I didn't prepare. I didn't know what I was doing. All I knew was that there was this big giant lie that was ruining my family. And a lot of times because the, the, the abuser denies what they've done to, to such an extent. And obviously when it's sexual abuse within a family, that denial goes so much deeper. I was being painted as a mentally ill person. I mean, lies were being spoken about me that I was crazy. Just, just anything that could um, ruin my credibility if I ever was to speak out. And so I'm a singer and I'm an artist. That's that's what I do. And I felt a really big disconnect between my my audience and my songs. I felt that they wouldn't be able to connect with who I really was if they didn't know what was going on with my life. So that was also another factor in finally breaking the ice. And to give this some context, this was before me too. So I one day I just locked myself in a room and I decided I'm going to make a small video on Facebook. I'm going to break this lie. My extended family, I miss them. They deserve to know the truth. Like I I need a real connection and this is just um ruining the the realness of my family. So what started out as a two minute video just to say one sentence like this happened to me (laughs) turned into a 17 minute short film and I buried that one sentence right in the middle and I made this film and it was called the cover-up girl and I put it up on Facebook and I didn't think twice about it and then a a few months later somebody in Argentina this is where my family is from my dad was well known as an athlete down there someone got a hold of my video and remembered my dad from the the 70s and 80s when he used to play rugby and he shared it on his Facebook page. He's an activist for sexual abuse victims. And the video went, quote unquote, viral, like not, okay. you know, global, but just within Buenos Aires, Buenos Aires. Uh-huh. And it kind of became a big deal to the point that a year later, my dad sued me <laughs> for telling my story, wow. but I won. Oh it, my gosh. Well, thank God. It was like this crazy yeah, it was it was a crazy turn of events. And between sharing the film, it going viral, the press flying out, interviewing me, and then Me Too happened. 
And then everyone was talking about it. The minute sure. I started sharing, same as you, Erin, everyone started saying, hey, this happened to me too. This happened to me too. And then, I mean, it was a global echo. And I realized mm. that I needed to do something. So that's when I started volunteering for the YWCA hotline. And I started hearing survivors, uh, hearing their stories and trying to help them in the moment of crisis. And finally, I got to accompany a survivor to the hospital. I say finally, because not everyone chooses to report. And I mm -hmm. really wanted to have that experience to know what, what, how does it feel to go in and report and go through this? Well, that's when I, I found out that these women are coming in in their most vulnerable state and they're, they're, they have to go through what looks like a pap smear. But what is it called? Pap smear? <laughs> I can't do this. Yeah. <laughs> is it pap smear? Pap smear, yeah. yeah. They, yeah. They, like, it's like a pap smear examination, but it's, it's more invasive than that. I mean, these girls are made to strip down and then they're blue lighted all over their body. So, mm. so, I mean, you have to like preserve yourself in that state of like, I have this stuff on, like, I mean, it's just, it's the most horrifying thing you can go through and they don't get panties at the end of this. So I was like, we have to do something for these girls. Yeah. Um, it's, it's funny that you, you mentioned that. So I am currently reading the book, um, know my name. It's the story about the woman who is raped by the Stanford swimmer. Mm. Do you, are you familiar with that story? I'm not familiar with that story. Oh, I should let you read the book after the book is fantastically written. So it's written by the victim and it's obviously written from her perspective. She had gone to a party with her sister at Stanford. She didn't go to Stanford, but she was home from college and she had a boyfriend and, and her and her sister were just making plans to go out that night. And she had, you know, too much to drink and her sister and her had kind of gotten separated at the party and her sister thought she left. So she left the, the party and it ends up that this swimmer took her outside near a dumpster and was oh, yes. ready I heard to, that. To, yeah, yeah, yeah. to rape her. And then two guys who were biking through campus, actually, they they came by at the perfect moment and were able to apprehend him and, and wait for campus security to come or yeah. whatnot. But she goes through her journey of going to the hospital and talking about that procedure. Um, and she had like pine cones and stuff in her hair and in different body parts. And she's talking about the blue light and people taking photographs of her and no one is saying the word. So she doesn't even know if it really happened to her or not. She, I mean, she, she was right. They're just looking at her, but they're not saying, Hey, I'm so sorry. This happened to you. This is called rape, like attempted mm -hmm. rape. This is a crime. You're a victim. Yes. You have rights. Like, it's just like, we're not going to say anything because this is a medical procedure. So we're going right. to just look at your body. Yeah. yeah. And, and I mean, she talks about, you know, as helpful the, as those forensic nurses are and as, as, as like, th there's always a room, room to improve on the procedure. Well, and I'm sure there's certain legalities that they're allowed to do or not do or whatnot. And like, she was obviously an adult. She was, she was in college or whatnot, but you know, just like her parents weren't aware and then her sister didn't know exactly what happened. So you're you're hearing this story kind of as it unfolds from her perspective. And I, I haven't finished it. I mean, I seen the news or whatever, so I know kind of the outcome. But the other side of that is like in in her world, this was this happened in front of the public eye. So there was a lot of media attention around it. And also her name was protected until it wasn't. And then it was kind of out there. And so she talks about also when it happened to her, it was around the time social media 
media was big. And so she's reading people's negative comments about her online and, you know, just kind of going through this process. I mean, it's just very fascinating also knowing like when you've had an experience going, well, like I had my experience, but it was very close knit. It wasn't in the public eye. I worked through it with my support, my support system around me and didn't have a lot of outside influence in the peanut gallery giving their, you know, two cents. And so I don't know, I, but I would highly suggest reading it because it's, it's just, it, it resonates, you know what I mean? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And also it's like, she is a person, like everybody refers to it because of who he was and as his victim or whatnot. And it's like, no, she's, she's a human being. She has a life and an identity too. So I don't know. I know I am like engrossed in it. (laughs) I've been, I've been, you know, it's a, it's a page turner. So these kits and all of this, um, like what is your future plan? Where do you want to take KISS and how can people get involved? What can they do to help you? I know I want to help you. I love what you're doing. I think it's fabulous. And I also love that we met in such a neat way. So I... I love my friend Kachita and she works for, she has her own company, Style on the Spot, and she's always doing these fabulous events. But on this particular day, I didn't have any evening meetings. And she said, I'm doing this fabulous event tonight and it's for this great charity. And I said, okay, I'll dial in, let, let's go. I'll be a part of this. And so I do. And then not only do I get to meet you, Delfina, but I'm hearing your story. I'm watching the amazing work you're doing. And then I find out that you're moving to my hometown and I am just like, I was meant to be on the Zoom call tonight. You know what I mean? Like there, there is no other explanation. Like I was meant to be there. I was meant to listen. I was meant to connect with you. And I just look forward to working with you and helping you and supporting you in your mission. Thank you. No, yeah. I mean, you are a testament and Kachita is as well to what sisterhood can really do for the cause. The best way to support KISS is to donate a $10 care kit so that we can send a care kit to a survivor at a hospital. If you want to partner with us monthly and donate more or on a regular basis, that also helps us a lot. Following us on Instagram, Keep It Sacred Sister. We are also starting a Facebook group to open up the dialogue around healing. Our main Mm -hmm. focus is always on healing. We tell stories based on how you're healing. We don't necessarily give the attention to the trauma. We let that be your story, but we we let your healing be something that we share and we go deeper into. So Keep It Sacred Sister is a place for healing. And and that is what you saw on that Zoom call with Kachita and that, that event that we did. My sisters in this, we have all seen the power of what sisterhood can do and believing that it is possible to be PTSD free, to be trauma free. Sexual abuse, it does not define you. And it's it's an interesting thing because our, our society sets up our sexuality and our um, sexual activity as such a, a key part of our identity. And when I was recovering, I had to get to a certain point where I decided to redefine my how I engaged sexually with with a partner. I was very sexually active during my healing time because I was trying to erase 
what happened to me by if I, if I just didn't have a trigger again, or if I just didn't mm-hmm. have a flashback during sex, or if I just, if I just this, if I, I had my own standards for healing, but that never really eradicated the pain. The, separate from Kiss, my healing story only turned into this freedom story personally when I stepped into my faith and I stopped trying to heal myself on my standards. Mm. It took mm-hmm. me 20 years, Aaron. It took me 20 years to get to this point. But some some people, they give up that burden a lot quicker. I tried to do it my way for a long time. But I, in my own personal life, I I just prayed to God. When I got sued, I said to God, I said, if you if you get me out of this lawsuit, I will do anything. Just rescue me. Just rescue me. Mm-hmm. And within two months, I was represented for free by one of the top firms in the United States. I mean, a client friend called me out. I mean, it just was this miraculous snowball of events that led me to six months later, waking up uh, and realizing that I had become PTSD free. I, I am not noise sensitive. I do not have flashbacks. I mean, it's my friends don't recognize me. They're like, are you kidding me? You fell asleep in public? What, what is that about? <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's like, I have to relearn how to, how to be out there, but yeah, I I am all about the message that sexual abuse does not define you. There is freedom for this. There is a sisterhood that will get behind you. And the best way to help your sisters is just to keep focusing on healing. So we we definitely invite anyone who wants to be part of Keep It Sacred Sister to follow us on Instagram, check out our website website and 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 get involved. Yeah, no, I love that. I mean, I definitely intend to and I feel like I mentioned that there's a purpose and a reason that we connected. Can I ask you after this occurred and you're going through your healing process, if you were out there dating, not necessarily exploring your sexuality and whatnot, but like, like truly dating, like, do you feel that there's an appropriate time when you kind of discuss with the person that you're dating, kind of what happened to you? Because yeah. I think it is important to to have the discussion, especially <laughs> if the relationship is going somewhere, to have yeah. that openness. So I'm going to be really, really honest with you and really radical. I used to be really good at PTSD conversations. Hi, nice to meet you. We're going to date. Let me tell you what's going to go on. This is going to happen. This is what you do. And it's all going to be okay. <laughs> and I did that for so long. And 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 then I realized that I started to value my sexuality in a different way. I was actually dating somebody when I felt that call on my life to go into deeper purity, meaning stop having sex. Like mm-hmm. the, I I call it starve your sex demons. Okay. <laughs> that's my personal, like that's that's what I did. I just I just took back my sexuality by not having sex and valuing my sexuality as something really sacred, something really pure that no, that no matter what happened to me, I'm not going to define myself by what I do in the bedroom or what I share with a partner. I actually really want to save it for some, for someone, that one person mm-hmm. who's going to come into my life. I had no idea that that would lead me to be free from PTSD, but it's, it's hard. It's hard to talk about that freedom without saying like God or Jesus, because I'm telling you, like there was nothing that I did that got me this freedom other than valuing my sexuality in a way that God could step in and say, we are going to remove your sex demons. Because 
when what happens and in the new age world in the there's a spiritual realm like there is a spiritual side to our reality and in that we're constantly making agreements like we're constantly meeting people and agreeing with what our values are and what we want to share and what we want our life to be together so and when we share intimately sexually like when we when we have sexual intimacy we're actually engaging with their soul and their spirit. And it's such a profound exchange that goes on that that's why I felt like I needed to stop having sex so that I could just disengage from all of the soul ties that I had made, including with my own father. (laughs) That's how I was initiated into Mm -hmm. sex. I mean, Mm -hmm. and, and breaking all that off with the intention of purity behind it and getting back to who God made me to be, that is what made me free. Mm-hmm. That's amazing. I mean, I your strength though, and just obviously you've, you've really like mastered this. And like, I, I just look at yourself and, and then I think about myself and I'm like, oh my gosh, like maybe I should be exploring other avenues. But I mean, I know we're all on our own journeys and we are all we all process and learn at a different momentum, yeah. I guess you would say, or whatnot. But so do you feel any sort of, and I don't know how old you are, but do you feel any sort of pressure around dating? And I'm assuming that you va- still value like a marriage, even though you didn't have the best like modeling growing up and such? Yeah, I used to wish that I was infertile. And I used to say I never want to get married. And so I would just have sex with whomever. I mean, I had, I did a complete 180 in my dating life. So the pressure that I face now is actually when you remove yourself from the sex world, when you remove yourself from, from that mentally, you make that choice in your head. The minute you step outside your door and you run into someone, there is never the question of, I wonder if maybe like you never have Mm -hmm. that dialogue again. And you start seeing how the rest of the world is constantly making that decision constantly. Mm -hmm. And so now I have the freedom. Like that was the first thing I noticed when I gave up sex the first time. It took me twice. It took me two times (laughs) to to get it right. But yeah, the first time I even made a hat that we sell on on Keep It Sacred Sister called Keeping My Pants On. Yeah. I I Uh made it public. Like I am keeping my pants on. Uh And it gave me, it was like, I, every billboard, every advertisement, every clothing piece, everything out there was all about how sexy are you? How good at sex are you? Mm-hmm. How appealing are you? Are you attractive? Oh, does that man, does that woman, does that person, does that tree? Like every part of you has to be attractive all the time. And it was like, when I didn't play into that, I could just be myself. Mm-hmm. And, and I still had my sexuality. Right. It, it right. was just a yeah, crazy I know, part. It's a beautiful thing. Yeah. Now, it, you don't you die on it? if you don't have sex. Let me just put it that way. <laughs> You'll be just fine. <laughs> You'll be fine. <laughs> yeah. like. <laughs> um, so if you went on a date and a guy wanted to take it down that road or you kind of picked up on that vibe from him, how would you address that? Because I think that takes some major balls, girl. Like, oh. I'm just wondering. I, I am yeah. so like. I am not great at like those difficult conversations or confrontation. And I can only imagine how I would handle that. Sure. Not well. Well, you get used to it. You grow into it. Let me just, let me just say you can ease into this and you get better at it. But you know, like any diet. Sure. You just stop. You just commit like, oh, you can just tell people you're the weirdo. Like, I'm sorry. I'm doing this thing right now where 
I'm not going there. So, and then for me, it's a, it's about marriage at this point. I I'm 31 and I I've had enough experience. Not that like not you know not that waiting for marriage is about getting enough experience so that you can wait. But I I'm just not tempted. Honestly, the kind of man I want to end up with, or the kind of partner I want to end up with, is someone who I could say, hey, you know what? We get to hang out, but it's not about that because it's just not about that, and it just eliminates so much. Mm-hmm. someone who really cares about my heart and about who I am and my destiny and my future, my mind, they're not going to be hurrying to get into my pants. And if they are, then they can go. And sometimes some guys just need to be reoriented. Like, oh, thank you so much that you're flattered by, by me. Like that you, you think that this is that, like, thank you so much. But you know, I'm just not in that. Like, it's not about you. I'm just not, I just don't go there. I'm keeping my pants on. (laughs) (laughs) Then you go bring your cap out. Yeah. (laughs) Sometimes it gives guys the permission, instead of having to be these sex machines, it gives them permission to just be your brother, to just be your friend. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. For sure. So when you do date, then I'm just, you're, you're all good. When, when you do date, are you meeting people on, on apps then? Or are you more in real life? (laughs) You don't. Okay. But you're like, I just find that fascinating. Relatable Aaron. Oh my gosh. But I'm quickly, I'm quickly like realizing like I, it's hard. It's going to be hard to be relatable. I just don't. I just, I made a list. But I love it too, oh. because here's the thing like, no, no, no. I'm just going to break it down for you. You're a beautiful girl. You're intelligent. You have so much going for you. You're, you're not only business-minded and savvy, but you're also like artistic and musically inclined. Like you are just such a amazing package. <laughs> and it's just funny because you're like, I'm taking myself off the market. Like, don't even approach me. Like, I've got right. goals and I'm achieving them. But there's something like very attractive, I'm sure, to a man about that too. Because, I mean, you are going for it. And I, and I think that is way more attractive than somebody who's like begging for the attention. Do you know what I mean? Right. And, and I think there's people out there who probably the type of person, the caliber of person that you're looking for is going to really respect those things and admire them and want to be your biggest advocate and cheerleader and supporter. And that's what's beautiful (laughs) about it. You know what I mean? But I think oftentimes (laughs) when you're not in this process of self-reflection and growth and you're time is ticking by and you're like, okay, like I, like I have goals. Like I want to have a family. I want to get married. I want to do these things. You kind of lose sight of all the fabulous things that you're doing right now because you're so concerned about what do you want to call it? A void or, or just finding that partner and, and wondering almost like, why isn't he here? But it's like, life doesn't have to evolve around that. I mean, you just said it, like you will live without sex. You just, you just told us. I do live without sex. It's been two years. Yeah. Which is like, like amazing. You know what I mean? (laughs) (laughs) Um, But you know, and, and I have urges. I'm a human being. I also desire a partner, but I don't walk into a room and I go, maybe he's in here. I have just Mm. handed that over to God. I know, I know what I have to offer. And I know that who, whoever is, I know there's someone meant for me. I mean, I guess you can call me like the most radical romantic you ever met is just like, I'm not going to date. I'm not going to put myself out there and I'm going to meet the man of my dreams. And it's not just about having a marriage or having kids and a family one day. It's about having a successful marriage and a successful Mm. family. Like 
I am learning to love my future husband right now by saying no and waiting. Like I I am giving before I am receiving. I want to be able to say to that person, like, you know what? It was really hard before you want you, before you were here before this night, like I, this has been a real sacrifice, but you, you're worth it. I mean, and that's a lifetime gift and it's, it's radical. It is radical, but I made my list. I told God, I want to know you need to like out loud, speak it to me like signs all over the place. This is your husband. Otherwise, I am not going to pay attention. And I'm telling you, I hear stories. Oh, well, I met this guy and maybe. And then it's like, there's such a hopefulness, but it doesn't, Mm -hmm. it doesn't lead to fulfillment because it's not, it's, it's, it's that searching. If you think about it, sex is creative, right? Like we create life through sex. So Mm -hmm. not allowing yourself to express yourself creatively in that way until it's it's in its right time frees you up to be creative in other ways and in in the season of life that you're in. I don't know if that makes any sense. (laughs) Yeah, no, I mean, it does. It does. And I think it's fabulous. And I love that you have this approach and this attitude and it's unwavering. I mean, it's, it's, it's amazing. Mm-hmm. It really is. It well, really is. And soon we, we are going to, the goal with the panties be, is to have a online store where we can have panties and it, it will be your first ever not for sex panty. So you can have panties of the week. You can have your sexy panties, but you can also have your not for sex panty. A lot of, a lot of survivors, they actually are averse to sex for a, mm-hmm. a long time. And we want to support that process by giving them fun products to go with their purity, like their, their healing process. So I know I'm delving into this crazy world of sexuality and gender and, and healing and survivors and human rights and stuff that in its simplest form, we just believe in healing. Like we just believe that it's possible to be healed and that you don't have to go out and have sex to prove it to yourself that you're healed. Well, I love that because I think too, you mentioned not a lot of people, I don't know what the statistic was that you said, but not a lot of people do seek help or treatment mm-hmm. or support after they internalize and, and try to deal with it themselves. So knowing that there's this safe place where there's resources and people who've overcome a situation and having that sense of community is huge. I mean, I mean, and then- yeah just supporting one another, creating that sisterhood, like you mentioned. Do you ever have men who reach out to you and have been victims as well? Because we don't really talk about that a lot. No. Males that are impacted. No. And the numbers on that are are a lot less. That's not to say there's not male survivors. There are, and there are a lot, and they are quiet. There's a lot of them in the military, actually, um, believe it or not. And as far as our expertise, we, we don't know, we can't speak into the survivor process for a man because his sexual identity in the world is going to be always different than a woman's. I don't feel like I have that voice to speak into that, but we definitely know that that's, that, that that's out there and that resources also exist for those survivors. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the hospitals that you partner with, are you just bridging the gap with those relationships? Just kind of like, are you doing that strategically? Are Do you have hospitals reaching out once they realize what you're doing? Or how do you go about yeah. that process to kind of expand your footprint? So a rape examination is a forensic examination, which is a different kind of medical procedure than a regular hospital would offer. So there's okay. a lot of nonprofit networks that are involved in that. So we actually work with nonprofits that service survivors in what's called a SART team, sexual assault response team. So for example, here in Reading, we work with a 
the fashion alliance in town. They make our panties, we package it, and then we send it to one safe place, which is a, a shelter in a restoration home where survivors are living. Mm-hmm. But they also have a SART team that works at the hospital. So they will take our panties in their kits to the survivor whenever there's a phone call. They actually go in and hold her hand. That's what I did that first, you know, that first time. And so that's how we get the panties to the to the women in hospitals. Also because just practically hospitals don't have a lot of storage. So we rely on the on the NGO networking, um, the SART teams to bring in the care kids. Is there a way for us to help in our own communities if if we have a connection or we know somebody who is kind of tied to an agency like that? Like just reach out to you with that information? Yeah, absolutely. We're looking for partnership. We're looking even to have affiliate partners for panties, companies that want to donate panties to us. Mm -hmm. That would be great. And yes, any NGO that has a SART team works with survivors in restoration homes. There's a lot of sex trafficking restoration homes where women are healing and we would love to send them panties as well. But yeah, definitely. Definitely. What's your... What's your overall goal through this, your journey, your story through KISS? What what do you, what's your biggest accomplishment that you would like to see come to fruition? Uh, On the practical solution side, we're starting out with the care kits. We're building a mobile app as well. Rain has a mobile app right now. We have, we have, plans to build a mobile app as well. It'll be a little different than Rain's, a more personal approach to a survivor finding and connecting um, with resources. So that's another solution we're working on. And then a third one is actually going to address rape culture on college campuses. Yeah, believe it or not, you can't search for campuses based on safety. So we're developing a safety score per campus so you can search and compare campuses in a very user-friendly way. That data exists, but it's kind of one of those DMV sites where you just would have to spend a long time on this gray and blue, ugly website to figure out, Mm -hmm. am I safe here? And so we're going to just make that information consumer friendly. So on the practical side, those are some of our goals, but on a, on a personal mission driven side, like our vision for this, for this company, we really hope to change the narrative around sexual abuse. I think the Me Too movement is an incredible, an incredible phenomenon that has just happened in the world. And it's the beginning of a healing process. I know that once you share your story, it's sort of like, oh my gosh, it's out there. Who am I? This is no longer me. It doesn't define me, but where am I? So I think there's a lot of a lot of space to start moving the dialogue back toward healing or forward toward healing, I should say. Mm-hmm. Um, and and giving survivors hope, not fueling mm-hmm. their anger, not fueling the trauma, but but focusing on healing and showing that healing is truly possible. Oh, that's amazing. Well, Delfina, thank you so much for joining me today and sharing your story and just being so open and honest. And you are honestly an inspiration. So keep it going, girl. I love everything you're doing. And I will totally be by your side supporting you every step of the way. Thank you, Erin. Thank you so much for having me. Absolutely. Thanks for tuning in to your Such a Catch. If this episode pulled at your heartstrings, maybe you're a survivor yourself, or maybe you know you just need somebody to talk to, feel free to reach out to Delphine or I. You know, only 20% of survivors come forward for help. So 80% are out there alone, and you don't have to be. We're here for you.